We are back. And in this hour, we are tracking one of the biggest stories of the night, and that is the GOP debate that's happening in Miami. Uh, this debate is happening on NBC, and there's been a lot of uh, pushback or blowback from the MAGA base about NBC hosting a debate, many believing that NBC has uh, affiliation with MSNBC and that these debates shouldn't take place on what they consider to be a very, very liberal network. Uh, that's one issue happening with respect to these debates, but also the issue of the relevancy. Do these debates even have any relevancy, given that Donald Trump is so far ahead in all of the polls? What possibly could these five candidates hope to achieve tonight uh, that might change their status, that might get some of those MAGA voters voters to uh, you know move over to their category, might attract some of the moderate Republicans and might even attract some independents. And also, big question tonight, what about the Israel-Hamas war? What about the war in Ukraine? The uh, aid that Joe Biden has requested from the House and the Senate for both of those uh, foreign conflicts. Obviously, the economy is going to be a big subject tonight. Uh, so we're going to talk about the debates and help you understand what some of the pundits think, the experts think you should look for, whether you watch it in real time tonight or if you catch snippets on social media tomorrow, which is how most folks are going to probably consume this debate. Uh, Richard Green is here, Democratic strategist and uh, Ed Sanders, also very uh, seasoned veteran Democratic strategist. Both of them are here tonight to help us make sense of the third GOP debate. All right. Thank you, Richard and uh, Ed, for joining us. Let's start with you, Richard. Uh, tell us like, the top two things that folks should be uh, paying attention to if they are either watching mm -hmm. in real time or they're going to go back and watch later. Um, yeah, I think that it is highly irrelevant <laughs> on a political level because it is so incredibly clear that nothing will take Donald Trump down from his position as the front runner, massively the front runner. And he, every, he, nothing is kryptonite to this guy. Everything helps him, every indictment, every bit of bad news. So I think it is fait accompli that he is going to be the nominee. And I spoke to um, some some people in the Republican Party, and everyone agrees with that. I think the thing to watch is who is going to surface as the 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 stand-in, the backup, the you know the, you know like so many quarterbacks you know in the NFL season are going down, and you know who's the backup, and the strength of your team depends on the backup. I am most concerned about Nikki Haley. And I was just watching part of the debate. She's really good. And mm -hmm. I think if something happens to Donald Trump, we have to be prepared for fighting against this woman who is has been able to do this Houdini act of walking this line between pissing off Donald Trump supporters and also being able to be attractive to people who don't like him. So, um, I, I would watch Nikki Haley. I, I saw Ron DeSantis. He gave a very good opening statement. Um, but I do not think that he can beat uh, Gavin Newsom, who I believe will be the Democratic nominee. 
I just, threw, right. that little, uh, you I just, just threw that little bomb in at the end. You know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you just dropped something on us. We'll we'll get to that, Richard, at the Gavin Newsom comment. But Ed, let me get you in here. What do you think are the most important things viewers should be watching if they're going to watch this debate in real time? Or if they're going to go and, you know, watch snippets on social media, which is how most people consume uh, presidential debates. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with Richard. Um, I think that this is, for all intents and purposes, probably a um, just an exercise in, you know, an attempt to get ratings. You know, it's not I, most of the debate formats really don't focus very seriously on the issues at hand and thus the candidates really don't have a, you know much to gain from it um i also agree that that nikki haley has the most to gain uh, you know what what she represents is a new breed of republican candidate um certainly you know the potential to be the, the first um um uh, you know female um presidential candidate nominated by the republicans um you know i think her her, her diversity, um, you know, uh, being of Indian descent uh, is, you know, almost unique to this Republican Party and, and would be, you know, from a from an objective standpoint, a, a breath of fresh air. Um, ultimately, how she performs, to Richard's point, some measure of consistency that, that allows her to be in position, either if Trump alters, but more importantly, for the vice presidential nod. Um, DeSantis, I think, has, you know, just more to lose. Um, I think the, 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 the more opportunities you see him juxtapose against other candidates, I think you start to realize um, that this emperor has no clothing, right? And that um, he is, he's really striving to be sort of a, a, a Trump light. Let me ask you this, Richard. So typically a second in place candidate like a Nikki Haley would be a logical person to, you know, that might end up on the ticket as a VP with someone like Trump. And as Ed pointed out, she's female, she's of Indian uh, descent, so she brings a woman of color. And if it's Biden and Harris, now you have uh, also uh, a woman of color in the second position. But Nikki Haley has been critical of Donald Trump. So can you imagine a universe in which Donald Trump as the nominee would select Nikki Haley to be his running mate if she is the person in the GOP, you know, nominating contest that has the most, uh, you know, is polling the highest uh, over the men? Yeah. Um, if Donald Trump were smart and we know he's not, he would absolutely choose Nikki Haley as his vice president. She would make that ticket, I think, so strong that it would almost certainly beat a Biden-Harris ticket and maybe even a Newsom-whatever ticket. She's really impressive. She's very skilled politically. She brings, as you know, we just heard from Bob, I, I, I'm sorry, what's what's the name yeah. of the other guy? Ed, Ed Sanders. Um, yeah, hi, Ed. That that diversity that is rare and exciting to the Republican Party. But I think that Trump is not going to go there, in part because of what you said, Ariva, which is she has been critical of Donald Trump, that for a normal politician with thick skin who knows how to play the political game, it's fine. Like Kamala Harris beat the crap out of Joe Biden, and yet 
Joe Biden said, I need you on my ticket. I don't think Trump has that political temperament. I think he is much more likely to go with a Carrie Lake or a Christy Nome um, from South Dakota and, you know, go for a sexy bomb thrower, high profile, someone who's willing to blast out, you know, the, the Trump message and amplify, you know, Trump not do the do the 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 legitimate political conversation that you're going to get from Nikki Haley. So uh, it's interesting. Again, I hope Nikki Haley is not on the national ticket because I I honestly think she can win no matter what she does if, as vice president or as president. Do you share that sentiment, Ed? Uh, Richard has been very, no. very complimentary of Nikki, and I'm sitting here shaking my head like, that ain't the Nikki Haley I know. Uh, so how are you feeling about Nikki Haley? No, I mean, I, I think her profile is appealing to those that lean Democratic, right? Um, I, in the end game, um, this is still the Republican Party, and you know it, its base is still one in the Confederate South. Um, the, the more I think people know her to be a person of color, quite frankly, I think the more distasteful she becomes to the Republican base. Uh, they have not shown, um, through the years to be a political base that would particularly follow a person of color, whoever it is. Now for us, you know, I, I tend, I tend to lean democratic and, and, I would I would think that, you know, her profile is strong. So, I, you know, in the end game, I think she has a modestly impressive record. But but all told, I, I do not see her climbing to the Republican nominee. But but hold on, Ed, the the truth is in a Republican primary, everything you're saying is absolutely true, which is why she's about a thousand points behind Donald Trump right now in the Republican primary. But. Um, you're not going to have any hardcore conservative in the South or anywhere in the Republican base who, if given the choice between Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, is going to think twice before voting for Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. Don't you agree with that? That she, But what she yeah, does, and, and, she makes yeah. Donald Trump more palatable to people who are not pure Trump magas. Yes and no. I mean, in the end game, Trump is about as known quantity as you can get, right? Like, you know, folks are going to vote for him. Uh, Nikki Haley doesn't make um, Trump any more appealing. Um, she just, she simply doesn't. He's, he is the dominant figure on the Republican side. Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think in the end game, um, I tend to actually agree with you that he would not pick her. Um, but yeah, if she's on, it really is largely about Donald Trump and his ability to drive out, um, that MAGA base to the polls, less about Nikki Haley though. Yeah. And I don't know, Richard, in what world you see all this MAGA racist base, white supremacy supported, uh, base voting in large numbers for a Brown woman, an Indian woman, uh, a woman of color that just hasn't been borne out in our U.S. politics. And you need only ask folks like Daniel Cameron, uh, Herschel Walker and other African-Americans who have tried to uh, people of color who thought that they could somehow escape the color issues that, that 
people of color face throughout this country and well, be Tim embraced and accepted. Uh, Tim Scott is barely on the debate stage. Tim Scott is being rejected. He couldn't even get his fellow senators in the U.S. Senate to endorse him. And you know what they said about him, which was so telling of the racism? They called him a nice guy. That, that's like the most <laughs> offensive thing you can say about a U.S. senator. You couldn't say he's you know, bright on policy or he has you know incredible policy positions. He's a nice guy. Like Pat him on the head, sit in the corner, little black man, and shut up. That, it was so offensive. Go ahead, Ed. You're trying to he, was appointed, he was appointed to the Senate post. I mean, like he won, he, he didn't win it outright in an election. Yes, he's won re-election, but but mm-hmm. largely uncontested. Um, you know, he he was appointed to the to the post to fill a vacancy. So I, I you know I don't hold Tim Spot uh, Tim Scott up as as someone that has won electorally in the Republican Party. Um, he hasn't beaten out a, a true Republican field for the post. But Ariva, look look what we're talking about. I mean, if in fact it's going to be Joe Biden, Kamala Harris versus Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, the voters are going to be looking at two vice presidential women of color. So, I mean, I, how well, much I think we can move the- past the Nikki Haley because I think we're all in agreement. Donald Trump, because of all the reasons we all know, is not likely to choose Nikki Haley. I think you're right, Richard, that he's much more likely to choose a flamethrower a provocateur like a Carrie Lake because their brand of politics is much more aligned with him and right. his bag of base. So I, I don't think it's going to be a matchup. Between and I hope he does. I hope he does. Donald, uh, Trump. But let's, and I want to get you to weigh in on Richard. He's dropped Gavin Newsom's name now two, three, four, five <laughs> times. Uh, obviously more. trying to get a response from you and I. So uh, what are you thinking about this replace Joe Biden and somehow Gavin Newsom uh, is the white savior in this equation? Um, look, I think I think Gavin is doing what's prudent. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think the, the further this goes, um, you know, you hope that, that the president can rebound. Um, you know, the economy, nothing that he has done well, it seems to have engendered, you know, one momentum, but, you know, real support, um, you know, and, and you just can't forget that, that Biden won largely because he was not Trump, not because people were particularly energized about him as a candidate. And so his numbers are going to, to, to struggle. I think um, if there is some way by the convention that the president has just faltered too much. Um, Gavin is in a very good position to, to, you know, assume the, the nomination through the, through the convention. It, it would, it would be something like that. I think um, it'll be interesting to see, right. I, you know, there's a lot, a lot of time between now and then um, the economy is doing relatively well. The, the president just doesn't get the, the high marks for it. Um, you know, and ultimately, uh, you know, I, I, it, the last month has, has plunged us into a, a, a conflict, a military conflict that that may drag and weigh on his popularity at some point. Uh, I, you know, I, in, over the next couple of months, I think that will be sort of his base. He's going to have a, a real tough time with his base and in much the same way that um, the MAGA base is necessary for Trump to win. Um, I think that. Uh, I don't know how to call it. And, and, let me, and I need you to hold that thought. We, when we come forward, we're going to talk about the base and how well the base did last night. 
uh, and what the significant wins from the Democrats last night means for <laughs> Joe Biden in 2024. And how are these candidates on the debate stage going to distort and twist the significant wins by Democrats? When we come forward, KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and we are talking about the GOP debate that's happening in Miami right now. Uh, and during the break, I had a chance to read some of the updates and listen to some of the debates myself. And one of the things that really struck me, uh, it has to do with the support. All of the candidates supported, uh, stated their unconditional support for Israel. But they also went further. They said that as uh, candidates, they would deport foreign college students. Uh, Ed Sanders and Richard Green, two veteran Democratic strategists, are joining me in this hour. Ed, what do you think of that? So we know that uh, you know Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib has been censured because of her statements around the uh, Palestinian crisis. And now we have these Republican nominees saying they would deport Muslim or foreign, I guess, uh, students on college campuses. Uh, what we heard from the uh, Arab American community in places like Michigan is that they were not going to support Joe Biden uh, next year because of his unconditional support of Israel. So now you got Republicans saying we're going to deport students. You have uh, Congresswoman Tlaib, who's been censured. We have Michigan Arab American voters saying they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. So, you know, what do you make of all of this? Um, well, I mean, when I look at it from Republican politics, there are really two staples of Republican politics. And, and the first is, if you can, kick black people, um, do whatever you can to, to vilify black people. And the second is vilify foreigners. And I, I you know, wrapped into the statement about immigrants, uh, foreign born students is this sort of, you know, we define who Republicans are. I mean, we define who Americans are. That's, that's kind of what the Republican Party has stood for. Um, and, you know, it starts with being, you know, white, um, Protestant, and, and so forth. The Israeli conflict and the Ukrainian conflict are interesting. Uh, you know, I think I was saying before the break, the, the Israeli conflict in particular for Biden poses a problem. I, I think the uh, sort of the anti-war um, sentiment that I see growing within the the base of the party, I think will will only get louder the longer this goes on. Um, the further that Netanyahu and the Israeli government, which is which is really a conservative government, continues you know down the path that it's going on, I think you know, and, and Biden continues to show support or is unable to rein in. Um, you know, some of the, the, the violence that folks are seeing, um, he and Kamala will pay the price at the polls. I, I, I don't think this, this bodes well for them in terms of turning out their base come November. Um, they've got to find ways and we'll always have to find ways to get, um, the Bernie Sanders crowd on board. And, and right now I feel like he may be losing them. Richard, one of the things we've heard, uh, one of the candidates on the debate station tonight, Tim Scott, say is as he's talking about support for Israel and uh, talking about providing aid to Ukraine. Of course, he did what all Republicans do is he tied it back to the southern border. 
and it's, suggested that somehow there were terrorists coming through the open southern borders. And we hear that narrative pushed by Republicans all the time that Joe Biden allows the southern border to be wide open. Uh, what do you make of that? And are we going to hear a lot more about that tonight, the open borders and somehow trying to tie that to the terrorist attack in Israel? Yeah, first, I, I want to respond to what Ed was talking about. I have a number of progressive Democratic friends who are so upset with Joe Biden that they are pledging not to support Joe Biden. And I just have to say, it, the, the irony of that is stunning. So you're telling me you are a progressive Democrat <laughs> who supports the Muslims in the Middle East and you're going to not vote for Joe Biden or and stay home, or you're going to vote for Donald Trump, who overtly, specifically is against every Muslim, has done horrible things to Muslims, would do even more horrible things to Muslim Muslim because you're having a temper tantrum. I just wish people would understand that as imperfect as it is, we generally have a binary choice. And with respect to Muslims and the rights of people of color, including Muslims, there is no moral equivalency. And because I agree with Ed, I mean, if we lose some of those Democrats in places like Michigan that have large Arab populations, Donald Trump's going to be the next president. So I, I don't know if you want to respond to that. No, I think everybody's in agreement with that. And you've heard me say over and over again, this is not about the almighty. It's the alternative. And I think Democrats have got to get folks thinking like that, Richard, that this is not perfection. And that, yes, if you're a Muslim American and living in Michigan and you're mad at Joe Biden because he's supporting Israel, think about what your life will be like and the lives of your family members that may be in, in you know, Palestine or may be on a college campus. if. Donald Trump is in office. You think this is hell. You yeah. haven't seen hell. Go ahead, Ed. You but, but, but Ariva, I mean, look, I think particularly as African-Americans, we we have felt this, right, um, where you're just sort of choosing the, the lesser of two evils. Um, and while the the way that the, the, it's framed, yes, to a lot of people, their vote is an affirmative vote, meaning I'm voting for that person. And if neither candidate rises to that level and they stay home, then, then they stay home. I, you know, I would, I would look at Tuesday and um, what's the uh, Kentucky um, attorney general, Cameron, right. You know, when you look at his loss, the vote turnout, like Brashear largely performed as well as Biden did. Brashear, was down about half the vote of what what Trump did. Turnout matters, and and you know it's it, it. I don't know that you can scare people and get this the, the the thought that oh one is better than the other. I I, I think Biden has a long way to go to um, convince progressives that. Um, he's taking the right course of action in in this in this fight. Well, um, I, I don't 
don't think, hey, let me say this. I don't think you can scare people into voting, but I think you can get people to focus on the record of Joe Biden and compare that record to Donald Trump's record. And people tend to, uh, you know, they know which side their bread is buttered on. And I think a lot of people will be voting affirmatively for Biden and Harris because having a black female uh, vice president has meant a tremendous amount to a lot of African-American voters in the same way that Barack Obama, uh, you know, meant a lot to African-American voters. And what we get in the news media is so much Donald Trump that we don't get to see those long, long lines of folks who stood uh, on college campuses, black college campuses to speak to our vice president who have uh, enthusiastically embraced her. So I don't think that what we are seeing in in the mainstream media represents where most black voters are. I had a pollster on yesterday and she said in her polling of black voters, they said that Donald Trump and MAGA Republican policies represented the single most uh, threat to them. So when we talk about black voters, I think we have to be very careful because the media, this, this notion from the New York Times that 22 percent of black voters may vote for Donald Trump. Cornell Belcher, other very reputable African-American posters say that yeah. number is absolutely absurd uh, and there's right. no historical basis for it. And when we look at the black votes last night, I think we should feel encouraged. Not that we should rest on our laurels, but we should feel encouraged. When we come forward, I want to continue this conversation about last night and the wins that the Democrats uh, experienced and how that might play into the 2024 election. And Again, I want to ask both of you, how are the Republicans going to spin what happened last night? Because they've been tying themselves in knots. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 15. All right. Richard Green and Ed Sanders are here. And let's talk about last night. Big wins for the Democrats, even though a lot of political pundits said we would have a horrible night. We actually had a phenomenal night. So the question is, how are these candidates, because we're talking about the GOP debate that's happening as we speak, how are they going to twist and distort the win last night uh, to try to advance their own narrative? What do you think, Richard? What are you going to hear tonight from these five candidates on the big win for Dems in Virginia, Ohio, uh, and other places around the country? Well, the Republicans, if they are at all smart, they're going to see that anything that the electorate feels is a total or close to a total ban on abortion rights and women's ability to have sovereignty over their body is going to hurt them next November. And I, if I were their political advisor and I would never take that job, no matter how much you paid me, I would tell them to do to trip double and triple down on the Glenn Youngkin strategy. Um, Youngkin lost in Virginia, but not by much. They picked up one Senate seat um, in the Virginia state legislature, and they only lost a few out of out of 100 in the House of Delegates. So I think the only tenable position for any of them, if they're focusing at all on the general and there really is no Republican primary, is to do a 15 week or some, you know, abortion ban light and have that be the brand for the Republican Party. What do you think, uh, Ed? What are you expecting these candidates to do tonight to try to uh, gaslight the American people about how significant the wins were for Dems? Um, you know, I, I don't think they'll focus on that at all. I mean, I, I, I do think all of the candidates on the stage recognize that 
that they have a, an energy deficit um, that that voters out there simply aren't engaging with them, no matter what they say. Um, you know, I, I think they will tend to fall back on, you know, the, the standbys. Like I said earlier, they're going to kick African-Americans, they're going to kick foreigners um, and try to look for an opening. That really is kind of what they have at stake. Um, you know, their their ability to motivate the base um, is so lacking right now that until they can find the issue that gets them up, they're going to struggle. Yeah, and obviously uh, the Israel-Hamas question is dominating this debate. Questions were asked. Uh, they actually turned the mic over to Matthew Brooks, the longtime director of the Republican Jewish Coalition, and he asked the candidates whether they would strike Iran militarily and defend Jewish students who feel unsafe on campuses across the country. Most of the candidates uh, avoided a direct answer to the first question, though. Haley said she would strike the Iran Iranian infrastructure supporting attacks on American troops. So this debate, Richard, looks like it's going to be mostly about foreign policy and obviously them taking swipes. DeSantis is saying uh, Joe Biden didn't do enough to get Americans out of, of Israel and Gaza. He's kind of, you know, giving himself a big pat on the back for saying he got some Floridians back. Uh, so uh, it, it uh, American people, are the American people that dialed in to these foreign conflicts? Um, I think this one, yes. And I have to tell you, I've heard from some of my Jewish friends who are very pro-Israel that they are just blown away how they are agreeing with Republicans and how resolute the Republicans are on the support of Israel. And I think, honestly, that could be a very effective strategy for them to peel away some moderate Jewish Democrats as a result of this one issue. It's a very deeply emotional issue for Jewish people and people who support Israel. Uh, good point. And that's why they are spending so much time, Ed, on this topic, on this debate. And as Richard has said, all of the candidates have expressed their unconditional support for Israel. They've gone as far. Some of them is talking about deporting foreign students on campuses. So uh, what do you make of what Richard said, that by doubling down on their support versus maybe responding to the progressives who want a ceasefire or humanitarian pause, that Dems might lose some of the Jewish voters that Richard talked about? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with what he lays out. I mean, the, the first piece is that to, I think, the Jewish base in the country, it is a deeply emotional issue. Um, and, um, you know, I think the question was, was posed earlier, you know, Republican or Democrat, and that it's a binary choice. Um, I don't know that this issue is so binary. Um, and And therein is the conflict. I think you're to your point, I, I am hearing from, you know, conservative Jewish friends and then from progressive Jewish friends, and, and I'm getting a mix of reactions. Um, and I can understand that. To your point, it's, it's an incredibly emotional issue. Uh, it, you know, it when you're looking at foreign policy, um, I can look back to Netanyahu as the, um, what, prime minister, and I kind of remember the dicey relationship he had with Obama. Um, I don't know to what extent that that carries over to Biden, um, but 
there seem to be some differences between, um, you know, at least in private, there seem to be some differences between where the president is going and where the Israeli government is taking it. Um, and, you know, in there is an opportunity for Republicans. And, I, you know, ultimately, I think they'll try to seize on that opportunity. Yeah, so uh, it, it looks like on this issue of foreign policy, Richard, that you have Ramaswamy representing the isolationist wing of the party against what people are calling the internationalists, Haley and Chris Christie, who backed each other up. Uh, Ron DeSantis has been pretty uh, MIA on this conversation. And when asked a question about Ukraine, he pivoted back to the southern border because I think he thinks that's where he is strongest uh, on issues of the southern border. What about Ukraine? Do you think if we didn't have the Israeli issue that the Ukrainian war would motivate people in the same way that you say your friends, your Jewish friends are motivated by how either Republicans or Joe Biden responds to the Israeli crisis? You know, I think the I think people are tired of the Ukraine-Russia situation. I think they're tired of it. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. We don't have the same invested interest in it as many people have in Israel. So I and I really think we're still looking at a huge issue about whether Congress is going to or the House is going to give any money to Ukraine. And I, I I think that could cause a government shutdown. The Republicans seem to really, really, really not want to do anything with Ukraine, which is 180 degrees. Well, we from should the, say the Republicans in the House because Mitch McConnell, to the, the contrary, House, exactly. in the Senate, no, has right. expressed support and uh, sees uh, Ukraine and supporting Ukraine as a vital foreign policy issue for the U.S., no, it's a huge difference. I, I totally agree, which is amazing that the Republican Party is doing the complete opposite of what Ronald Reagan would be doing. But then again, one explanation is that by not giving money to Ukraine, you're helping Donald Trump's buddy, Vladimir Putin. And that could be one of the reasons why, since they're all in the tank for Donald Trump, they may be doing that. By the way, I, I love how you keep saying Ramaswamy. Uh, you must... Uh, that that sounds pejorative and accurate, but it's really Swami, I think. Swami, okay, thank you. No, I'm not trying to. Uh, but, but Swami sounds more appropriate. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced lots of different ways. I think people are maybe butchering his name as a purposely, because uh, he's well, he's a total joke. Not everyone. I, I wasn't doing it purposely. It's, it's interesting, uh, Ed. I'm getting all of these uh, emails from the Biden administration. They're trying to. Uh, you know, uh, counter the narrative. And they're they're trying to uh, undercut this notion that somehow Biden is anti-Palestinian, anti-Muslim. And they're really highlighting Donald Trump's Muslim ban and his statements around, uh, you know, continuing a ban or, or trying to implement such a ban if he's elected. Is that an effective strategy, you think, for the Democrats to, to uh, you know, try to remind those Muslim Americans that say they're not going to vote for Biden that, you know, here's the alternative? Um, I mean, I, I think it's, it is the course that he needs to pursue, right? Um, I, the, the, the point I was making about the base sort of walking away from him, I think elections now have changed so much. I mean, you talked about the debate and how we process it on social media. Uh, to a large extent, I think people are, are grabbing their news in, you know, the 30-second tidbits. Um, and this issue is playing out on social media much differently than it is in sort of the popular press. 
I don't know that his message points are speaking to those that get their media from social media. Yeah, we're going to have to see. Uh, the debates are halfway over, and foreign policy has dominated the night. We'll see if in the second half, if they move towards the economy, to jobs, uh, and other areas where we can, can expect the Republicans to take shots at Joe Biden, who, by the way, has done a phenomenal job uh, on the economy and jobs. But we are out of time. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you so much, Ed, for joining. Uh, we will be uh, catching those 30-second sound bites ourselves tomorrow on social media. <laughs> Again, not sure these debates will move the needle for any of these candidates and suspect that uh, Donald Trump will continue to dominate the field of candidates running for president on the GOP side.